Welcome back. We're on a hunt for the real unicorns, the companies which are impacting a billion people positively. We profile some of the world's biggest impact investors and the visionary founders that are making a difference in our world. Listeners will have the option to vote or invest in their favorite ventures and get behind their missions as we share the struggles, the passions and the challenges they overcome. Join Cassandra in this episode as she gets up close and personal with Nino Judge, founder of Flypop, a new British airline business which is challenging the status quo by teaching existing players how to be a little more sustainable and impactful in their approach. Thank you so much, Nino, for joining us on today's podcast. It's, it's a real pleasure to have you. What is Flypop all about? Tell us a little bit about your business. Hi, Cassie. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. And obviously, you've been helping me for many years. So it's so great to talk to you on this progress about the progress, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, we've made over the last six months. Yeah, so Flypop is a low-cost airline originating from Britain, a British airline, flying east to South Asia. And incredibly, there's never been a low-cost offering flying to any of the South Asian countries from the UK. And, you know, that was the gap in the market. So that's what we're exploiting is actually offering the South Asian diaspora. The diaspora that since 1947, since independence, kind of moved west for a more prosperous future and now have established themselves and go back and forth as many times as they can per year, visiting the relatives, visiting the homeland, and then basically also living in the West. So mm-hmm. the low-cost offering is really our main USP. The other USP is actually not going through any hubs. It's a non-stop service. And especially during COVID, people don't want to stop off via anywhere where they potentially can get infected. So that USP, which was kind of number two, perhaps is number one now. You know, well, we'll only know once we launch but it's the low-cost, non-stop connectivity to the diaspora, the visiting friends and relations mm, who go mm. back and forth all the time. And it's not a guilty pleasure. It's just something they have to do these days. I met you when you were still involved in Formula One, so back with Lotus F1 Racing. And obviously, you had some dealings with Tony Fernandez of Air Asia. I would love to maybe allow our listeners to hear a little bit about your background in both sectors, both Formula One and an aviation space. Yeah, no, I mean, this whole inspiration comes from Tony, actually, and AirAsia X. You know, the one thing Tony is is absolute genius at low-cost travel. He has built one of the largest low-cost airlines in Southeast Asia and dominates that space the same way Ryanair dominate in Europe or Southwest dominate in America, you know. So he's an absolute inspiration. We owned the Formula One team together, you know, for five years. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. But what I did get from that whole experience was how brilliantly and low cost he ran his operations. His cask, you know, his per seat cost per kilometer was Mm. so low. I think think the lowest in the world. The only thing he didn't have, unfortunately, was this thickness of commuters who travel back and forth from Europe to South Asia. He just didn't have that with his long haul service from Paris and UK to all Hong Kong to Kuala Lumpur. Mm. You know, it's all tourists and business. 
Whereas the difference with Flypop is it's visiting friends and relations. That's our target segment. And I remember Tony saying, oh, if only I had that market segment, you know, and I could fill my planes, my, my large planes with, he has 377 seats on his aircraft and we're going to have 412. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because we can fill those big planes. Mm-hmm. And that's the main difference. But effectively, it is AirAsia X just pointed at a different market. Got it. So I've had the great pleasure of meeting Richard Branson, Stelios from EasyJet, Tony, yes. and now you, Nino. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> the next Richard Branson and Tony Fernandez, right? You've been at this now for quite a few years, and I've watched you along your founder journey. Yeah. How many years has it been now? Five yeah. years. Five years, yeah. But you've done a phenomenal job. You have raised $10 million I'm very, very proud to have been involved in your seed funding round. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, talk to us a little bit about the government backing that you've just received for Flypop. So the backing is inspirational. They didn't let the startups die during this COVID crisis. So through the British Business Bank, they set up something called the Future Fund. And it's for pure venture funding. But If we hadn't raised that seed funding back in 19, Cassie, I would not be eligible for this future fund. So it's because we'd already raised £250,000 as real seed funding back in the day, then I could apply for this future fund. I always had an investor who was interested in about £5 but because I couldn't get the other half, he never invested. But as soon as the government said that they would match up to £5 of your private investors investing, I went back to him. And he was serious and he put his pledge in to give me five million if the government would give me five million. And it all went through. We did a lot of due diligence because obviously the government needed to know that, you know, it wasn't going to be another ferry company without a ferry. So we had to explain to them that airline doesn't have to own its own plane. You can lease it now, et cetera, et cetera. We went through some strict due diligence. And then we got this 10 million package together right at the bottom of the market in October. It's phenomenal that you've been able to raise during this time, especially for this kind of business (laughs) as well, when travel has halted globally and you've been able to raise that kind of money during the COVID pandemic. It, It really is phenomenal. So congratulations. The three things that the government were really interested in was, one, we were obviously going to create new jobs in the aviation industry, Mm. which that's what they wanted to do in UK. Two, it's a great post-Brexit story. Whether you believe in Brexit or not, our new trading partners are actually the old Commonwealth. And so potentially flying to all the old Commonwealth with 10 hour radius is actually very good for the British economy. And the last thing was obviously they were very impressed that we were going to be carbon new. And I think perhaps talk about that later. But a carbon neutral airline really fits in with how the government wants to move forward. Exactly. Well, I guess that brings me to my next question. Fly Pop, can you explain the name and how that links to your impact strategy? Yeah. So Fly Pop was really the inspiration on me starting this airline because you know I'm all about USPs. If you, if you haven't got USPs, there's literally no point starting a new venture. And, you know, you've heard my commercial USBs, but I just thought because the aviation industry is so world connecting, there was a way of actually having some kind of global impact and doing good whilst doing well. So POP, the origins of that is global profit and the people being your customers and society. 
you know, sometimes you have to put them above pure profit making mm -hmm. just for the sustainability of all. For example, people have a profit part is for every meal we sell on board, we'll be giving a meal to the homeless and needy wherever we take off and wherever we land. Mm -hmm. It'll actually mean, I think, it'll mean we'll sell more meals because you can sit there on board, happily chow down on a lamb biryani, knowing that you've actually fed somebody else as well. Absolutely. So where are you feeding these people? How does that work exactly? So for, say for every 400 meals we sell on board one way, we'll be giving away 200 meals in the UK, where we start from, but actually giving away five times as many in India, where it costs a fifth to make it. So a thousand meals will be donated to the homeless and the needy in India. So for every flight, we'll be almost doing 1,200 meals. Phenomenal. So people over-profit. So your strong belief in social impact, right? However, business still needs to move forward from a commercial perspective. Obviously, it is very important for us to be creating social impact with our businesses. But if these businesses aren't profitable, they will cease to exist. No impact will essentially be provided. So I love the name People Over Profit. How are you going to manage that from a commercial perspective, though? Obviously, you've thought very hard and long about how to build this model from a commercial perspective. But I do know that some of the investors that you pitched in the early days didn't actually like that People Over Profits name, I guess. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So my aim is to uniquely combine a absolutely aggressive commercial business, almost run on the Ryanair model, as you know, as people realize that is a ruthlessly commercial model. It's just with the profits, you don't have to take all the profits as dividend. One can put back in to society and take the rest. So I'm trying to ingrain in the model that you have social impact and it's one of one of the other bottom lines. There's profit and there's sustainability. You know, there's no need to take a hundred percent out once you've got costs and reinvestments. So one does have to run actually the business ruthlessly to make the profit because it's only after the profits are made can you do impact. And I think when we started doing this in the early days, Cassie, people didn't understand that. I think people are understanding it more and more now, especially through Absolutely. podcasts like these, where people are getting it, really getting it. It's not all about dividend. It's about dividend and social impact. And one can apportion a little bit towards society mm -hmm. and doing good. For example, ingrained in our fair as part of POP is also planet over profit. We'll be planting one tree for every passenger that travels with us. So one tree takes in one tonne of carbon dioxide over its 20-year life. A 10-hour flight return is one tonne of carbon dioxide. So we'll plant a tree for the passenger. And people say, oh, isn't that so expensive? It's actually three pounds a passenger. Mm. But three pounds means a passenger doesn't have to be flight shamed. And actually, if the journeys are shorter, you're actually carbon negative. Can you imagine flying on an airline and being carbon negative? And that's where you can effectively with Flypop. So these two bits of social impact, I think, are extremely important. And I feel is the next generation of disruption. Mm. It's where you put social impact right up there with commercial impact. Completely. 
it is very controversial, though, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> because absolutely. the airline industry is is probably one of the worst, you know, in terms of contributing carbon emissions. I hear you with reference to the planting of trees. There is quite a lot of controversy in the news around corporates planting trees and the greenwashing that's going on. From a business standpoint, I think it's important for these businesses to really look into the real impact that they are either providing or trying to provide with some of these impact measures. But I do like, you know, how FlyPop is really putting that at the forefront and analyzing how they can be both impactful, but also commercial. I think that's important for both. Yeah, I think capitalism, Cassie, is going to have to face this problem long term anyway, because uncontrolled capitalism, unregulated capitalism just takes, takes, takes. It's just going to be something of the past going forward, especially post-COVID. I think people realise it, and with the environmental impact. You know, I think, I think business is going to have to be on the leading edge of that, not government. It's going to have to be business. And I think the consumers will only support industry to get a grip of it, which is why I think in the aviation industry, we cannot afford to be shy about this because it's coming for us. Flight shaming is coming for us big time. And I think short haul is going to be in real trouble because people are going to try and take the trains or electric cars if they can. Fortunately for the short haul, electric planes will probably be with us very soon in 10 or 15 years. But for long haul, it's a completely different conundrum. You know, you can't have electric planes going eight, nine, 10 hours long haul. So we have to do something different. Fortunately, I think our salvation is going to be in sustainable fuel, which will become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as the years go on. But meanwhile, carbon offsetting in a tangible form, planting trees, our trees have been decimated in the last 100 years, our forests. Mm. So if the long-haul aviation industry could collectively start the reforestation of the Sahara, blah, 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 you know, it'll have a tangible impact on CO2 emissions and we can face flight shaming head on. There's mm. just no other way of doing it. Completely. One of the advantages of being a startup is we can have it as part of our standard operational procedure. Very difficult for large ones, mm. you know, large airlines to do it. But everyone's a small airline now, you know. So why not just embrace it now as you grow? Just have it a part of your cost. We happily pay in the UK £82 air passenger duty. So why would we not pay £3 for a tree? Absolutely. Well, Nino, I've watched you now for quite a few years on this journey. I have seen people laugh in your face, say that you would never get this off the ground, (laughs) say that they didn't believe in it. There have been a number of instances where you have had people put you down and just not believe in you. And I think... As founders, we tend to get that sometimes. There are people that do believe in us, people that don't, people that champion us, mentor us, help us and guide us along that journey. You've had a tough one. And, you know, I think wanting to build and launch an airline is no easy task. So I think you've done phenomenally well to raise money during a pandemic from the government. And I'm very impressed with the work that you've put into this business so far. It's very thorough. Your progress so far is a great achievement. So 
why don't you talk to us a little bit about that journey so far? <laughs> what have been your struggles? What was your most agonizing moment in this journey, I guess? Yeah, since doing this, I mean, obviously, I was a city trader for, for 20 years. And so it's, it's in the most commercial world than Formula One, which is even more the piranha shark nest. And then sort of launching in was, uh, you might, might as well make it a hat trick. The difficult part, now I would have been able to fund this airline years ago if I'd given away the majority control. But I knew if I gave away majority control straight away, I could never get the social impact embedded in the business model. And to this day, that's been the hardest hurdle. Cassie, as you know, just retaining control so that I could keep the business model. I think I was offered 75% for 10 or 12 million many times. Here, take the money. It's a great idea. You know, give me majority, but forget about the social impact. And 10 times, even from some very senior <laughs> Formula One management people mm-hmm. who obviously knew my business credentials, but said, well, don't be stupid. You know, we're going to give you your 10, 12 million pounds. We have 75%. Get on with it. You're going to be a rich man, you know. Mm. But for me, it wasn't about just being a rich man. Somewhere along the line, you have to think of more than money. So I plowed down until January 2018, when an extremely large private equity fund that has many, many, many aircraft, owns four airlines, love the flypop model. Mm. And they said, yeah, we're going we're to invest. Absolutely. Great idea. You know, we can order some brand new Airbuses, blah, blah, blah. Then they did some due diligence online and saw people over profit and called back and just cancelled the whole deal. We don't want to be associated at all with this philanthropy. I said, no, don't worry. It's not you giving away. Literally, the 51% going to good causes was hugely misunderstood. But I'll take the blame for that. I should have made it clearer or not mix the messages, right? But that was it. The deal was off. When I explained to them, actually, you don't have to give any money to good causes. Those are actually all my shares. And my founding partners will mm. be giving that 51%, not you. Then, do you know what they said, Cassie? So, so you'll tell everybody that we're not giving and you'll make us look bad. Okay. <laughs> and they pulled out of the deal. How long ago That's was phenomenal. this, though? Because with the rise of ESG and Jan- the UN Sustainable Development Goals, yeah. people's mindsets have you know, Jan 18. so much changed. Jan, Jan 18. Jan 18. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Jan 18. Now, Cassie, I think what it is, is that that 51% was just too much for people to swallow. You know, mm. I think if you do 10%, 15 et cetera, they could have got their head around it. But what I was trying to basically put forward is that you can make enough money by running a business really efficiently and still give away 51% in dividends to good causes and still be a billionaire, still be a unicorn, right, with the other half, if your business plan is good enough. And I sincerely believe that. I sincerely believe Flypop will get to unicorn quicker because of its social impact and not despite its social impact. Because when we offer our tickets like for like from Stansted to Amritsar, like for like, if we are contributing to society and the environment and our competitor isn't, I believe it's. What do you reckon? That brings me to ask the question, aren't other competitor airlines starting to look more into how they can be helping from an ESG standpoint. Obviously, a lot of airlines already have charitable donation programs set up. But I think as we move more towards a greener economy, a lot of these 
airlines are going to potentially start looking at this. How will you then differentiate your product and service if some of these competitors had to implement something similar? Well, I would be very pleased if everybody was carbon neutral. And I think EasyJet, for example, is now committed to fully carbon offsetting all their flights, which would be amazing. I still think they're going to need to convince the public that carbon offsetting is effective, as effective as me planting trees. Mm. But at least it's going in the right direction. I don't think it's going enough, but we'll wait and see. In the end, if we manage to get everybody carbon offset, then we're all going to have to think of a better way to have social impact. So for Flypop, it's obviously the meals on board and giving away the meals. And then we're going to have to move on to the next best thing, which is going to be a virtuous circle as opposed to a circle to the bottom. We're going to compete with each other on being good, as well as profitability, of course. But that's the way business should be looking. You know, oh, my competitor is now actually doing the same as me. What's the next good thing I do that's going to resonate with with the passengers and save the planet and Mm -hmm. save society? Yeah, I guess your marketing, your communication strategy and how you go to market is going to be incredibly important. I know you've been talking to some big boys with reference to strategy there. How does that differ from any of your competitors? And then obviously your route. Perhaps maybe let's talk a little bit about how you differentiate from some of these other low-cost long-haul carriers out there like EasyJet, AirAsia, etc. Actually, the commercial product, Cassie, is very similar mm-hmm. to the other low-cost long-haul, only our costs are really low. Mm. The one advantage we've had setting up during COVID is that all our costs. We're locked, we've locked in all our costs at a 50% discount, even more. So our planes, you know, Norwegian were paying over a million dollars a month for leasing their planes, and we're at $200,000 a month. Mm. So, you know, we really are going to be truly low cost because we've locked in those low costs for airports, aircraft, crew, suppliers, and then, of course, fuel is the biggest cost but we're on the same playing field as everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's an old saying, when you're running from the bear, you don't have to be the quickest, you just can't be the slowest. Yeah, exactly. So that's, so that's where we are, you know, we, we've locked in all these rates and we're going to truly be able to offer the lowest fares to India and South Asia. And we're starting at £99 each way. I mean, how amazing is that? And you still right. producing so, a profit on top of that and giving away half of it too. That is amazing, yeah. Nino. What about your yeah. aircraft? Are you using the same aircraft as Air Norwegian? What did they have? An A360, didn't they? Yeah, so we're using an Airbus A330-300, which is a very efficient aircraft. Not as efficient as the 787 Dreamliners that Norwegian were using, mm. but they're really expensive. So we can get our... Airbus equivalent, which is the 330neos or the 350s, in a couple of years' time when we're big boys and Mm. can put a big order in, you know, that's what it's about. You get a big order in and then you get the big discount. They effectively become the same lease levels as the older planes. Mm. So, you know, we're going to have to grow into that great position where we can have aircraft that are 20% more efficient. And then from there, we'll start using sustainable fuel. That's going to be the buzz and long haul in the future. Sustainable fuel. At the moment, three or four times more expensive than jet fuel, but it's coming down every year. That price is coming down. The more aircraft start using sustainable fuel, it'll start coming down. Sure. What about your routes? So where will you be flying from 
initially? Is it Stansted? Yeah. So we've just done the deal with London Stansted to fly there. We were chatting with Gatwick and Birmingham, et cetera, et cetera. But we have gone from Stansted because it's so much cheaper than everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And we'll go from Stansted to Amritsar, where all the Sikhs want to go, the holy city of Amritsar, and then also fly to Ahmedabad, which is the hometown of the Gujarati, the Patels in Britain, you know, and the hometown of Prime Minister Modi in India. So those are our first two routes, and it's based on the diaspora. That's where they want to go. They don't want to go through Mumbai. They don't want to go through Delhi. They want to get straight to where they come from. Got it. And then what is the next steps with reference to your expansion plan? What other routes are you looking to fly? Well, the South Asian diaspora from the West are looking to get to Calcutta, the Bangladeshis. The Tamils want to get to the South, so Cochin, there's Hyderabad, Chennai, and Goa. Of course, everybody will want to go to Goa over Christmas. As soon as India is green lit, that's going to be the holiday destination of choice. But we're only going to go where other people don't go. You know, everybody else goes to Mumbai, Delhi, and Bangalore. We don't go there. We're not taking the big boys on head on. You know, we're the minnows flying to the second cities where the diaspora want to go. And so once India's done, then we'll move to second cities in Pakistan, like Silet, uh, in Bangladesh and Silet, Sialkot in Pakistan, Kathmandu, and uh, I mean, there's the only two big airports in those cities, so we're going to have to fly there. But it's where the diaspora, you know, really want to get to, want to get home. Nina, we're about to run out of time. It would be great if you could just maybe talk about your next steps with reference to your fundraising. What are you looking at bringing in at this moment in time? Yeah, so th- thanks, Cassie. Obviously, after raising 10 million through the Future Fund, we've actually raised 10 more million at a million valuation, and we're looking to raise another 10 just so that we have a nice war chest against our competitors and against COVID. I think it's Mm -hmm. a prudent thing to do is just to raise as much as we can. And then we're set to launch if all goes well on the 1st of October, but our cash flow is so small that we can delay until the conditions are absolutely right Mm -hmm. to start. We don't need the money now, but I think it's prudent to raise more money. Got it. Got it. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Nino. We will be here supporting you as best as we can. And thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. It was really great and interesting to talk to you. And looking forward to seeing you in person soon. Fantastic, Cassie. Thank (laughs) you very much. Great. Really enjoyed talking to you. And thanks for all your help through all the years. No problem. Thanks so much, Nino. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit our website to tune in to many more founder and investor stories. Head there to back your favorite ventures which are changing the world with their business models to make a difference. Listeners are encouraged to vote and invest now.